0: Hello, everyone. Welcome again to another episode of the Freedom Tribe podcast. Uh, today, we have the honor and pleasure to have Carl with us from Germany um, of a CRO agency. Can you remind me a little bit of the, the name? And if you could just go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit to our audience.
1: For sure. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on this podcast with you both. Uh, my name is Carl. The agency name is Accelerated. We focus on CROs, everything conversion and optimization and beat testing related um yeah for d2c brands mostly lifestyle and cpg brands worldwide uh we're an english speaking agency and yeah that's that
0: that's awesome man that's awesome um so like just like the rest of the people or or most of the people that you see us interviewing in this episode we've met a lot of them in dubai like on the sidelines of the events that we've been you know to so it was an amazing um, experience to meet so many interesting people that we you know, got connected with so the uh we met in dubai at uh, geek out and you spoke there you were a speaker at geek out in dubai right yeah can you tell us a little bit about like that experience you know being, being able to speak you know like uh was it your first time yeah first time speaking first time speaking yeah can you tell us a little bit more more about that experience
1: for sure. It was a crazy experience, for sure, because um, the event was late February, I believe. And I bought the tickets for that around Christmas time in December. So like three months beforehand, because I just want to go there as an attendee to network with all these people um, because I had so many great stories about the event. And then I uh, long story short, I bought the tickets. And then somehow I ended up talking with Nick on a meeting um, because he was looking for somebody to talk about CRO. Because there are not that many people in the niche in this industry, like having a zero agency or zero expertise. So we somehow ended up in like a meeting just like right now with you guys. And then we talked about the topic and um, yeah, that's pretty much how we got landed as a speaker and the gig. And then um, my co-founder and I were really, really excited. And for us, um, it was a really, really quick discussion that I'm going to be on stage because he's not, he doesn't really like to be uh, the front face of the agencies, rather like behind the scenes guy. And then we basically prepared like the one, one and a half months for this talk, so like rehearsing the keynote, finishing up with Nick, um, he's been giving a lot of input and feedback so that was really, really helpful, kind of like how should we structure the presentation, what should we watch out for, what's the audience like, so he's been, he's been mentoring us throughout this whole process, so that has been really great, I probably um, tested and rehearsed it like 17 times before I jumped on stage, so I knew every single word by heart, so I couldn't fuck up anything, and then, um, yeah, the experience itself, uh, I, I couldn't sleep a minute the night before because I was so, so nervous and excited for that. But then in the morning, um, because I think I had it at like 9 a.m. or 9.30, so somewhat in the morning, um, I slowly started to calm down a little bit and just had this positive excitement. So I wasn't like anxious, nervous anymore, but I was just like really, really excited to finally jump on stage. And then when I was preparing, so like the last five minutes, like going next to the stage, getting mic'd up and everything, um, I was just being so excited and then jumped on stage and boom, I was like in the zone. And then the whole 30 minutes felt like two minutes talking for me, or like one minute. So it was going over so quickly. And yeah, overall really, really great experience. And it, it got me hooked. Let's let's put it like that. It got me hooked. <laughs> yeah,
0: I was there. I was there. It was a good, it was, a, you know, it was a good presentation. I mean, it didn't feel like you were kind of like a beginner or anything like that. So, you know, kudos on that. Um, so let's go back to kind of like the beginning, you know, um, how did you, decide and why did you decide like to start an agency?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, So for me, um, I always wanted to do something in the sense of making money online, being an entrepreneur in the sense that I could work from wherever I wanted. And for me, that started out with me having my own online store. So basically, as probably many of us did like a first dropshipping experience, built my own online store, did Amazon FBA, kind of had my own products going. And literally tried out everything myself before I would give it out to other agencies. Because we were like bootstrapped. And I also wanted to get the experience for everything. Um, because one of my mentors kept telling me that I need to be somewhat experienced in a field to be able to then give it to an agency to see what they are working. So they are not like fucking us over or something. So I um, essentially did everything myself before giving it out so from seo google ads facebook ads pinterest ads email marketing amazon fba pictures and whatnot and what stuck with me was building the store and kind of making sure that the um the storefront the design and the user experience is really neatly and then i ran into my now co-founder last because he back then used to be a freelancer for the whole SEO topic And for me also in my personal life, um, my passion was always psychology. So to understand how can I motivate myself? How can I motivate others? And then this was like a no brainer because I could um, combine the two passions of e-commerce and psychology together. And I was somehow in this all space. And then we worked together on my store, that worked together for like a couple of months. And that's when COVID hit. So we were working like really closely 24 seven on Zoom calls, FaceTime, (laughs) like talking all the time. And um, then somewhat we came up with the idea of building this out into a service because we really, really understood each other really greatly and could work together really good. And that's how I got started.
2: Okay, very, very cool. Uh, For people who don't know, what is CRO and why should they be doing CRO?
1: Okay, for sure. So CRO means conversion rate optimization. It's basically this whole field of creating a store that sells. Because I always like to tell people that there are two sides to e One side is Getting the attention and getting the traffic so for example doing seo doing paid ads doing social ads doing influencer campaigns and all of that so that they are uh, pushing a lot of traffic and visitors to the store and then the second half of it is that they have a store that actually converts so it's looking good it's easy to um navigate it has good ux good ui it has great copywriting it gets along the value proposition the usps and everything and that was basically the entire focus of CRO so it's creating a store that's not only looking good but also converts people
2: got it and and do you have any stories or examples that you can share with people that would show the power of CRO like you took this store from here to here and it helped them increase their results because I know you shared some of these things on Twitter but could you share one of those stories with us here on the podcast
1: for sure um, I will not talk about like the crazy, huge brand stories because that's like really easy to say like they've been at ten million. We put like twenty percent on that. Wow, they have like another like two million in revenue. Um, I will talk about one of the first clients that we had because this really really shows the pause here um because this is what a lot of dropshippers are doing in the early stages they start out with a general store and they kind of spam test all the different products right so they will have a store um with any random name and then they will test the leggings next to a dog bed next to some supplements next to kitchen accessories and gadgets right so it's a little a general store in that sense. So this client comes to us with like a revenue of uh, whatever, 2K, 3K per month with a 0.3% conversion rate with all these different products. And then we jumped into it, analyzed it, and the store looked like shit, okay? It was like a typical general store. And then we jumped into it and found out that his best-selling product were the dog beds. So like 90% of the revenue he made, he made through dog beds. So what we did with CRO then is we completely rebranded the store to being a dog store. So we could also optimize and individualize the copywriting to the target audience of the pet owners. So now we're not having like four different customer avatars in our copywriting but we can only focus on one we can optimize the brand the user experience and everything and then we did all of that and overnight his conversion rate basically went from a 0.3 to a 2.8 so i don't even know the percentage uplift of that, but we kind of like eight to nine x his conversion rate overnight, just by kicking out all the other products and completely rebranding it. And then basically have the copywriting, the USPs, the products and everything really, really aligned with the target audience from where he got like all the traffic.
2: That's crazy. That's crazy. That's almost a 10 X increase. When people are testing CRO, there's a lot of variables they can try. They can change price, colors, fonts, products. Um, when you bring on a client, what's, what are the first things that you're looking to test?
1: Yeah, great question. So we have a couple of different variables that we like to look at. One huge thing in e is trust. Um, I like to say it again. For traffic, it's a lot of attention, right? You want an ad that's really grabbing them by the neck and pulling them into your store. So you really want to build attention. And then in the store, what you need to be building is trust. Trust that you can deliver. Trust that you have the right store. Trust that you have the right product. And trust that when people buy the product, it's not like a scammy, um plastic shit from Aliexpress but it's actually being delivered in like two days high quality great benefits right so you really have to build all this trust throughout the store um most of the people are probably familiar with these small trust badges right so for example payment providers other trust badges and the announcement bar um reviews from customers all of that so they're like hundreds of small things that in the end of the day will create this big image Of a store being trustworthy i mean for you you wouldn't go on a store and like analyze all of that but you're just getting a feeling somewhat from your gut telling you this store is trustworthy or it isn't right so you just have the feeling intentional if you would buy from it or not because there are always some elements either way creating the trust or giving the vibe of being a scammy store so that's like a huge thing of making trustworthy Another thing that we like to do is we like to analyze the Hotjar user recordings. So Hotjar is an application that you can really easily integrate with Shopify, and it basically screen captures what users are doing on your store. So let's say you're pushing Facebook traffic to your store, you're getting like 100 visits, and then you're getting all these videos. So video number one, maybe two minutes, video number two, maybe 10 minutes, and so on and so on. So you can really easily understand the customer journey that the people have throughout your store. You may be pushing them to landing page, and then they go to product page, then home page, then about us page, then product page, and then they buy, right? So you you can um, understand the customer journey that they are having. And then what we like to focus on is during the customer journey, are we answering all their questions that they have in mind, right? So from the ad, they're getting on the landing page. On the landing page, the question might be for them, what's in it for me? Why this store and not a competitor? Why should I buy this product, right? So you have to answer all these questions. Then they may get to the product page and put the product to the cart. And then the next question they have in mind is, okay, when I buy now, right, in a cart drawer, when I buy now, with can I pay with my Amex? What logistics provider may they be shipping with? How long will it take, right? So when you're buying in the holiday season or Christmas season, like is this being delivered on time? So they have all these questions in their mind at like different steps in the customer journey. And what we want to do is we want to reduce friction throughout the customer journey and basically answer all these questions. So those would be like the biggest things that we like to watch out first. So it's not like changing the button color from green to red and all of these like typical A-B tests that most of people talk about, but rather about like creating the task trust with like small elements and then also focus a lot on the copywriting and getting across the value proposition and use piece of the product and answering all the questions throughout the customer journey.
2: Wow, wow, it makes a lot of sense. Um, So when people think about conversion optimization, if they're beginners, they think, oh, I'm just going to put on the scarcity, urgency, horrify uh, kind of a thing on my store. Does that still work in 2022? Do like these countdown timers still work?
1: Great question. Um, so here, I have to say, depends on the audience. So for example, in the United States, these things work like hell. So we have been working a lot with crazy, huge pop-ups, big red buttons that are pumping, um, scarcity timers, urgency timers, and all of that. And the um, Americans seem to not care about that too much. Like They are motivated by it. They will buy with it. But for example, if we tried it in European countries, especially in Germany, the people here are so skeptical that when they see one pop-up or one of these scarcity timers, they tend to be scared away by it, right? So you really, nowadays, you really have to watch out for the audience that you're doing it with. Also because a lot of people tend to catch up with this whole trend of drop shipping and everything. So they are a bit more attentive and a bit more cautious about where they buy online.
0: Okay, so I have a question. Um, about like I, I don't really like know too much or enough about uh, you know CRO in general, uh, but my question is like does it usually take a long time right uh, to kind of like process everything kind of like test everything and then come up with it? it says that's right.
1: Um, So it usually takes between two to four weeks for most of the stores to test one change. So it always depends on the amount of traffic and the amount of orders that they're having. So Amazon, for example, could test something in like one week and they would have enough data for it to be actually significant, right? So that they have like a valid result. But smaller stores, um, they usually need between two to four weeks to have one test finished and have a valid result.
0: Okay. Okay. That's good. So that kind of like leads me to my next question, which is about kind of like client, uh, I guess, obstacles or or objections. So is that something that you kind of have to deal with, like c- convincing them that, you know, it's worth w- waiting for that time? Because that's like, we sell SEO, as you know, and that's usually always like, that's the first thing that takes time and all um but like it, it t- took us years to kind of figure out how to kind of like deal with those objections and kind of like make sure that people can understand that th- th- it is worth it at all um so how do you deal with that and how do you like make sure that you onboard the right type of clients
1: i always feel like when i'm jumping into a call with a potential client like the energy and vibe that they are giving off after being in like thousands of discovery calls and like hundreds of sales calls, you're at the point where you just know if somebody is the right fit or not. And uh, you usually get that when talking about CRO and um, doing the expectation setting. So I usually, I'm really transparent with the process and how long it takes for us to get results. So I'm usually telling them, hey, in the second week after the onboarding, we will push the first test live. And then usually in the first month of the onboarding, you will have the first results, right? But then I will also talk about the compounding effect of these results, right? Because so in the first month, you can have the first um, uh, couple of tests live and get the first results. And then you may have like two good results. And then second month, you have two good results. And all of these results are compounding. So that's what I'm talking a lot in um, sales calls with them before we onboard them so that they know exactly what they are getting into. And I feel it's really, um, depending on the size that they're in, like are they a mid six figure business? Are they a mid seven or eight figure business? Because the higher, like I see this from around like 10, five to 10 um, million dollar revenue a year that they have the awareness for CRO, SEO and all these long-term visions, right? When you're getting drop shippers, like the the typical drop shippers into a call, they want results tomorrow, because in two weeks from now, the product may have died off. But if you're having these experienced brand owners, like really established brands, they and are, they are building a long-term vision, like they will be here the next year and two years from now and five years from now, they don't care to wait like one or two months for some results, right? Because they are aiming for the long-term. And that's what I'm usually um, like trying to figure out what kind of person is sitting in front of me and what's their expectation for the corporation.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, because that's, that's always the thing. We're always looking for those for that nice, you know, client who who knows what they're doing. And like, for us, it was always about trying to find, um, people with a certain, you know, like, a revenue numbers, you know, you know, 5 million, 10 million, but, um, do you, is, is it just about that? Or is it something else that you look at other than just like the, the revenue numbers? Uh, because, you know, there, we do have some who, who are, who have big, like these medium and sized, medium sized businesses that may be doing 10 million above, but there might be something else that might not make them a good fit to work with, you know, with you guys or with us, you know, like with, with, with an agency.
1: So what are you pointing at exactly?
0: Well, like, is there's there something else that you look at other than like the, the revenue numbers? Is there another criteria that you look at before kind of onboarding a client?
1: Um, usually how they talk about working together with agencies in general and um, like their personal vibe. Um, So I don't need to have somebody who's like really extroverted and really happy and high energetic, but just like the vibe that they're giving off. If they're coming into the call and telling me we worked with 10 CEO agencies and they all have been shit, like I know that we are also going to be shit for him because that's just the way that he looks at agencies, so I wouldn't take him on as a client. But if he comes on, he's rather chill, relaxed, and he knows exactly what he wants. He really knows his numbers and where he wants to take them. And then he's just trying to figure out if we are like the right vehicle and the right partner for him to get him where he wants to be. That's like the type of client that I'm looking for.
2: When, when does CRO start becoming important? Is it after you've made 100K a month, 250K a month, 500K a month, or is it as early as 10K a month? For an econ business, when does CRO become important?
1: It's really individual for um, the scale that you're at. If you're at 250K with like three, 4% conversion rate and you're able to scale profitably, you don't necessarily need to touch CRO. But for most of the econ businesses, the real auditing, auditing, um, you need to be somewhere between 250 to 500K a month, where it actually makes start that makes sense to start with CRO and maybe testing all the micro and macro changes that you're having on the store. Um, before that, I would rather focus on pushing the budget into the ad spend or investing into um, anything else than CRO, Because before that, you need to optimize your product market fit messaging, ad strategy and everything. And then CRO is rather something that you would have to look at when you're around the 250 to 500 K mark per month.
2: Got it. And, and does traffic source make a difference? Like does Google traffic is different from Facebook traffic? Do you guys deal uh, or handle those kind of visitors differently when you're looking at CRO?
1: For sure. Um, so what we tend to see is that, for example, TikTok traffic is converting like shit. So most of t- TikTok traffic is converting somewhere between 03 to maybe 1%, like the paid TikTok traffic. Organic somewhat in the same range. Google traffic is insane. Like Google traffic usually has conversion rates between five to ten percent. And then Facebook and Instagram are somewhere between like two to six percent. And that's and then you have some kind of organic traffic and email traffic that's also cro- converting like crazy. And that usually, and then like the way that you mix those channels then translates into the overall conversion rate that you have. But what we suggest is looking at all of these traffic sources individually. So the way that you build out the landing pages and the storefront that you showed them, like look at them individually. Because TikTok traffic and the audience that you're pushing from TikTok has a completely different attention span and the way that they are interacting with the store than somebody that will be looking you up on Google. Because TikTok is like so visual, so fast-paced, they don't read much, they just like scrolling to it really, really quickly. And therefore, you should build out really, really visual content pieces for them, for example, the landing page or product page, with a lot of GIFs, animations, and something that's like catching the eye. But then for like Google traffic, they are already, they have the product awareness, brand awareness, they are searching for the product, they know they need a solution, so they are far further ahead in the customer journey and awareness process. And that's where you can have more educational content and focus more on the more lengthier copywriting, for example. And one thing on top of like the different traffic sources that we like to look at, if, is it a new user or is it a returning user? Because returning users tend to look at the store differently so we can show them different content, for example. And that's also a huge point uh, that most people are missing.
0: Okay, this is, this is pretty cool, um, pretty interesting. Um, so like I think my question here would be more my next question here would be about uh, just the agency part, like the operations that you guys do. Um, sales. like how do you guys do sales? How do you like you know like find you know prospects and how do you close them? How is that like process to look like?
1: For sure. Um so we used to be one hundred percent in bond leads only. so just through our partnerships with other agencies, and friends from clients that would uh, be referred to us. This changed in the beginning of this year. We have started to take um, content and Twitter more seriously and build out these channels. So I never hard pitch anywhere or something. I'm just pushing out a lot of highly, highly valuable content. And that's then attracting people that want to work with us. So that's what I'm doing on Twitter. And that has been working anywhere because I'm just giving out everything for free. Like I'm giving out landing page frameworks, best practices, A-B tests that we've run, quick wins for COO. Um, the way that even the way that we have the process set up and analyze things for how we would change them or we do free audits for some stores for example and that's just organically attracting people that want to work with us because they can see that we have the expertise to deliver so we are not doing any type of code outreach with email calls messages whatsoever we're just basically building these this demand engine where people see the content or they are being referred from other people that have seen the content. And then they come to either my Twitter, send me a DM or they directly book a call. And then through the network or the Twitter um, where we're getting the leads and then they're booking a call, I then basically schedule a discovery call with them to look over their individual business case, look over, over their numbers, their KPIs and everything. And then I'm basically taking it from there when they're qualified. So if they're hitting like the right threshold, and if they're hitting all the KPIs. So for example, if somebody's coming into my room, uh, in my Zoom room with like a five percent conversion rate at 500k revenue, I would say, bro, you don't need to do CR. Like you're highly profitable. Just scale more, and then afterwards maybe come back. And so I'm looking for the right people where I see the potential to help them scale with CRO And for example, maybe make that traffic more profitable.
2: Yeah, that that sounds really interesting. Are most of your clients out of Germany or in the US, different countries?
1: It's really, really spread around the globe. So we have a couple of clients in Germany, we are building a lot of clients in the Netherlands. I don't know where all of these people are coming from, but there's like a huge ecom uh, network in the Netherlands where we are just onboarding store after store after store. And then we have some clients in the US and Australia is also a hotspot for ecom that's just growing. Where we're also onboarding a couple of new clients. So that's mostly like the hotspots.
0: Operations wise, um, how does it, you know, like uh, look like, um, like the team, you know, like uh, the, uh, what do we call it? Uh, do you have account managers? Um, do you just like handle, what do you do specifically? Uh, do you just handle sales or operations? What is it that you do and how like the the, the, the whole structure of the agency look like? Yeah,
1: Um, so regarding agency structure, we got really inspired by special forces and also by a lot of the um, content and input that Nick has been giving regarding the pod structure. So the way that we structure the agency is that we work with different levels uh, regarding the hierarchy. And then on the um, lowest level, we have these pod structures. And a pod is basically a small unit team where we have one full-time employee for every part of the process. So, for example, we would have on one part a data analyst, a CEO strategist, project manager, designer, copywriter, and then developer. So that of basically, with one person for every part of the process, and then they're just giving like the task and the work to the next person in the process. And then one of these parts are handing somewhere between like eight to twelve clients, regarding on the client size. So we have a couple of parts at the bottom. Then we having like project manager slash team leads overlooking these parts. And then we're having the C levels, and then we're having the managing directors. So um, that's basically the overview of the agency. And then we have the reporting between these different structures. So the data analysts, CO strategists, all of these people in the pods report directly to the team leads. They report to the C levels, and they report to us. So that's how we're overlooking everything um for me personally my role in the agency is everything regarding business development so sales marketing content relationships to other agencies and network that's mostly what i'm focused on and then a little bit obviously of like managing everything uh from the people and the strategy that we are steering to of the agency and then my partner Lars, um he's rather in the operational side like really involved in all the projects and overlooking everything and that's basically how we split it up and then we have like c levels where we have like one person for example one person just for the processes one person just for operations and one person who's just doing for example the execution stuff of the agency
2: okay do you guys only work with e-com or do you also work with legion sas different kind of business models
1: Right now we are just working with e-com. Um, we have one exception for a good friend of mine where we're doing the um, Funnel for his lead gen business. Um, we will probably start into the SaaS and lead gen and funnel like coaching and for product space in the beginning of next year, because that's really, really interesting to look into. Um, but right now we're just doing e-com.
2: Okay. Okay, and before doing CRO, you said you had you were doing you know your own e-commerce stores. Did you work in a, did you have another job, or did you try the other businesses in the past?
1: Good question. So um, I started my whole kind of journey when I was 16. So I did um, buy and resell these limited sneakers like Easy Boost, Supreme Jordans. I also bought a lot of Supreme like hoodies, T-shirts, jackets and then resell them for a higher price. But I was 16 and I didn't really want to get into taxes and accounting and everything. And I also didn't want to register my company for it. So at the point where it just grew too big, I killed it because I didn't want to go into that. So that was my first kind of steps with this whole journey. Um, and then starting the um, e-com brand was during my studies. So I studied on um, business administration, and e-commerce, slash psychology. And then I started my own e brand and I also worked as a waitress in a burger restaurant. So that's kind of my starting stones. And then during that time period, when I started the agency, I killed all of those th- three things and then moved on full-time with the agency.
2: Okay. Wow. Wow. A um, b- bit of a personal, maybe weird question. You post a lot of content online uh, what's one interesting or weird thing that most people who follow you don't know about you?
1: That's a great question. Interesting thing, I don't know about weird, <laughs> but interesting <laughs> maybe is that um, um, I'm doing a lot of music and art in my free time. So I'm creating beats like hip hop beats, R and B beats on my laptop. I used to have like a huge Instagram page and also work with some artists, so you can find some beats uh, like songs on Spotify um and then i'm doing a lot of drawing uh paintings so i also have, i know you cannot see this in the podcast right now um but i also have like a huge image of a mirror of mine where just kind of um did some creative stuff and i think not uh not a lot of people know that site
2: it's very cool maybe you should post more of that on instagram it's very cool
1: <laughs> yeah
0: that is interesting uh, which is like We've we've talked to Jim and I know you guys like our business partners and friends um, and we kind of like talked a lot about like personal lives and stuff and like we looked at him as like being a super successful and all and the first thing we started with was like how do you deal with like dating the dating scene the girls that how do you like do, do you is, is that even happening in your life is that a, a, a distraction or like is that something that's happening in your life at all?
1: Uh, so I have a girlfriend since two years and I started dating her um, literally during the time where I started the agency and was in the transitioning period from my e brand to the agency. And the funniest part about that was that at that time, I solely wanted to focus on business and I swatched myself that I'm not like dating girls because there would be a distraction and I don't want a relationship and all of that. That's what I used to think before that. And then i ran into her somehow uh through destiny and um started dating her and then i met the side of relationships because like quick backstory before that i had a really toxic ex-girlfriend where i just had this really really bad view of relationship that's taking like so much stress and energy and focus away from you um but with this relationship what i'm finding is that it can be really really supportive in times where it gets hard with, with the entrepreneurship side. And I feel like not a lot of people talk about this side from entrepreneurship and all um, of this making money online, having an agency, having an e-com business, uh, doing a SaaS whatsoever, is that there are so many uncertainties and struggles in this um, kind of way that we are living. And that's where I found having a relationship and a person that you trust can be really, really supportive. So I'm not into dating. I wouldn't get into dating or flirting or whatsoever right now, if I wouldn't have a girlfriend, because then I would focus like 100% just on the business. (laughs) Um, But uh, that way, I'm really, really happy how things played out.
0: That's good. Yeah, Good for you, man. Congratulations. At least uh, so Thanks. you don't have to, you don't have to worry about, you know, like dating and, you know, be get, get distracted because I've, you know, been married for so long, you know, like 16 years. So I see like from my, from my side, it's like, you can invest your time in building the relationship and making it stronger and better. And, you know, so your focus is kind of like distributed to one person and making sure that person is happy. And instead of, you know, like I've never really dated before, to be honest. So. But you know, I, I can imagine it's it's exhausting, you know for for people who are always like going from from person to person and all that stuff and having to put a lot of effort into it. But that's good, that's good for you, which which kind of like makes it a little bit easier on that set, because that you don't have to worry about it in a way. yeah um, yeah, you, you get to focus, you get to focus on your business, which is which is great, which is what we are all, you know like look you know, kind of like looking for
1: for sure. And I also feel like it's a great kind of constant thing and certainty in your life because you you just have this person and you're not like a singer and you're walking around and you're like worrying or making up thoughts or thinking about or maybe i should approach this person or maybe i should go out on the weekend to meet somebody um because you don't and then you don't need to put energy into that so um just like you said really really good to have that um to not be kind of distracted from what you want to do
2: yeah yeah totally have you, have you considered relocating from Germany? I know uh, Gem is in Dubai slash Bali. Uh, are you curious about, you know, traveling elsewhere or, or do you have other thoughts?
1: So I personally love traveling um, and experiencing new places and the cultures and meeting all these new people. What I have found over the past couple of months is that um, you really have to plan traveling really really good so that you can keep the focus so it's not like hopping from like being a weekend here being a week there um and then just like hopping everywhere and kind of doing this digital nomad lifestyle with your laptop on your um lab <laughs> uh, because uh, for me i found that it's really really distracting and it's really hard to focus that way um but then again i also had a great workation with my co-founder last where we just went to Marbella for a month and basically shut us down into this apartment. And it has been working insanely well because there you don't have any distractions such as like friends, family whatsoever, because you just have your laptop and you're like co-founder and you're just working literally. You may like work out a little bit or go for a walk, but then you're just working. Um, So for me right now, the way that I'm structuring it is that I'm spending my summer in Hamburg. So in Germany, because here it's really like beautiful city but then when it tends to get cold um, I'm moving away so I will be traveling to like Spain Italy southern France somewhere or even like further away whether it be Bali New Zealand or something but then again staying in one place for a couple of months and not like traveling around and like hopping
0: yeah that's, yeah. that's kind of my, my kind of uh thing I like it you know because um i don't i like to to travel but not you know like not a week uh, you know different week in different city is that that's just you know becomes exhausting but yeah. if you're like in a new place for two months three months you're like you get your yourself in an airbnb and you get to work focus it's, it's, it's actually really nice but yeah have you like uh, what's your favorite part of the world because i i do have my preference i've traveled all over the place and i think i like southeast asia for some reason I just like Thailand <laughs> more than anywhere, to be honest. But what do you? What's your? Uh, what's your favorite place?
1: So I still haven't been to Thailand. That's really high on my list. So Thailand and Bali, I want to check out both places because I heard and seen so much great things about those places. For me, right now, absolute favorite place is New Zealand. So I spent there half a year when I was 19, right after the high school before like studying. And this place is like so magical from the energy that's there from like the people and the nature. And um, right now that's like my top favorite place of all times. There may be um, a time and a place where I find something else, that's even uh, like more beautiful and more nature whatsoever. But this place is like so closely in my heart. And I will also be traveling there by the end of this year to like check it out again from like this uh, point of view in life like five six years later to see how it's going now with like um a different way of living because back then we were like traveling camping in the vans working on like uh, vineyards and fields or doing uh, crazy other jobs on like chicken farms whatsoever and right now you're like having an agency and you're an entrepreneur and you're working from the laptop uh with like a completely different lifestyle so i would see how that goes um, but still like the way that the people are there, they are so open and warm from the culture and the, the land and the nature is just so, so beautiful there. So I love that place.
2: It's awesome. It's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm going to bring us back a little bit to CRO because I know that there might be a lot of people who want to improve their conversion rates, but they might not be able to afford your fees or they just want to do it themselves. For some reason, if somebody had more time than money and they wanted to learn how to do it themselves, are there any resources that you would recommend they go and read and look at for CRO?
1: So um, I'm always talking um, about books a lot because there are a lot of great books that you can read and dive into. So usually anything around the topic of neuromarketing and um human biases because cro is mostly applied psychology to your e-commerce store so anything regarding sales um neuromarketing psychology and human biases is really really great so um there's one book by i don't know i think robert Cialdini, who's talking about persuasion uh, that's really really great because this is really applied knowledge to e-commerce but generally I wouldn't uh, try to find books around like CRO or anything like that, but rather around the whole topic of neuromarketing, psychology, sales, um, the art of communication and copywriting and then build uh, all of these resources kind of together and then apply it to your store. And then also dive a little bit into studies around UX UI um, because there are like tons of studies of how people are interacting with store and how people do online shopping. And then you have like a lot of knowledge in different areas and that's basically zero. So that's basically all the different points of knowledge that you need to be doing zero
2: got it got it for me I, I was learning a little bit from um pep playa uh, conversion excel do, do you think yeah. that's a resource
1: for people to check yeah out? that's a great resource too yeah yeah,
0: yeah he, he also has a podcast that's pretty interesting too um i do listen to him shout out to pep playa or yeah from from uh i think what's the name of the podcast do you remember
2: no but the website's called conversion excel excel oh yeah, yeah if you're listening yeah, I was going to say, Pep, if you're listening, you should interview Carl. You should bring him on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you, might. Yeah.
1: you might. That's like a, that's a yeah. great resource if you're into um, uh, online courses. So that's like one of the only courses that I would recommend on CRO because um, the way that CXL and P are doing it is that they are only getting like the industry leaders. So not anybody can do like a course on any topic, but they are just getting the industry leaders. They also had a really, really great guy from Germany. His name is Andre. Andre, and he has a really crazy last name, but his first name is Andre. And he jumped on there and he also did a couple of courses around the topic of CRO.
2: Uh, Andre Maurice.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Just found them. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Um, well, I, th- I think we went through a lot of topics. Are there, is there any last advice that you would give to somebody who is, um, they have a business, let's say it's an econ business, they're doing five figures, six figures a month, and they want to grow to the next level. Um, what's the main advice that you would leave them with after listening to the podcast?
1: Um, main advice is to spend some time and energy on their store too and not only focusing all the time energy and money on the ads because most of people are really really great at doing great marketing and then they get a bunch of traffic but then they have a shitty website or landing page and it's not converting And and there's like a really, really easy way for this to just like take what works in the marketing regarding copywriting and the way that they do the ads and the psychology behind it with the target audience and then apply it to the store too. So just hop into the research, find out who's your target audience, find out who are your customers, and then survey them, for example, for their pain points, beliefs, desires, and motives to find out who's buying from you, and then basically optimize the store based on that. So it's so easy to install Hotjar and look at the user recordings and the screen capturings to understand how your target audience is interacting with the store. And then based on that, you can really easily optimize
2: got it very good very good um so last thing if people want to follow you online where should they go twitter instagram linkedin what's your usernames
1: um i have the same name on all platforms it's always my first and last name so kyle or Weishi, uh, regarding on the location yet. Um, you can maybe just put it in the show notes or something best would be twitter because i'm publishing english content there and also most of the content um a mixture of like short bites that's really easily digestible for like quick wins and then also mid to long form articles on how to actually do SEO. so twitter is your best bet um feel free to follow me on instagram posting a bit of private stuff there with a mix of SEO advice um yeah
2: okay well call thank you for being on the freedom tribe
1: Thank you so
0: much, guys. We appreciate it. Yep. Thank you, Carl, so much.